Hi, I'm John Timmerman, and this is 60 Minutes. I'm Rob Schauger, and where we're going, we don't need roads. And I'm Al Kutri, and my new haircut makes me look like Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and we are the co-founders of the No Bull Company. Hey everybody, today's episode is brought to you by Lawn and Order, special hedgings unit. Go to their website for all the details, www.noonesabovethelawn.com. What's up, Buzz Nation? Welcome to I'm a Little Buzz, the show where we bring a ridiculous amount of life to business, all while sharing a glass of whatever makes you happy and talking about what gets us buzzed. Yeah. What gets you guys buzzed today? Uh, what gets me buzzed is my painters came today and they're painting the kitchen yes. and they're painting the porch floor. Boom. Boom. You? Okay. Throwing it right back at me. Um, what gets me buzzed is weekends at camp. Every freaking weekend, no oh, matter what, day. no matter what, we just got internet up there. It's very slow, oh. by the way. Oh, is that what very you got slow? Well, one you're in the up, of nowhere. One gig up, which is basically nothing. Yeah, you can't upload anything ever. Yeah, uh, and then like what is it? Twelve down? I don't know. It's basically enough to chat. Five G? Didn't you say there's something five G up there? Not till next year. Oh, got all excited because T-Mobile. Said we're getting a tower. Look, I heard you know chatter in town in 2021. You know, and uh, and they were supposed to get it in May, scheduled to get it in May. They looked mm. it up. I called the the service tech. Was like, oh yeah, it should be up there right now. I'm like, well, it's not. It's not. And uh, looked it up. Then we called the uh, like actual like the location engineer, whatever they're called. Mm -hmm. And he looked it up. He's like, I got him on the phone, and he's talking through, and he goes, oh, actually, we were supposed to get it May 2020. He's yeah. like, yep, five 2020. I was like, it's not there. He goes, okay, hold on. Okay, yep, actually postponed due to COVID. Uh, January, or Q1, 2021. Oh. So, so we have internet to get us by. Enough to spend a day up there during the week, usually right. Fridays. extra, yeah. But then coming back. So pretty pumped about that, though. Cool. Yeah. You? I had some uh, great meetings last week. I, uh, I met with a guy on Friday. We'll just call him Bob, because Bob's his first name. But I'll save his last name. This guy has started 155 businesses in his life. That could be either really good or really huh. bad. He's uh, he's super <laughs> successful. He's done really Sounds well. Like me. Um, he's <laughs> built a great team of people that, uh, depending on the project, he brings in the right people. And uh, are they all successful? Or are they all still going? Or uh, no, all... Not all of them. I think he gave me the the success rate, and it was north of 65 percent. Oh. And uh, he's he's started a business on every continent, I think, except for Antarctica. Yeah. yeah. Super cool conversation. Mellow guy, laid back. Was privileged to get an hour of his time last week. I have been watching Sounds good. entirely way too much Ozark. Because in my instant <laughs> thought, I'm like, mm, is he cleaning money? Is he laundering know. money? I, first thought. First have you, thought. <laughs> have you finished Ozark yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, you did? I yeah. crushed it. It's great. But um, now all I think about is money laundering. Like, you're going to get into it, you mean, think of it? Or I'm is thinking about it. A new business idea. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. 156 business for me. <laughs> get a laundry mat, scrub that money right up. That's, That's right. It. Make sure, you know, you throw it in with the clean of the dirty. And this is the strategy. I mean, Jason Bateman basically laid it out for everybody. Like, this is how you do it. You know, yeah. throw the coins in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, slap some chains on it. I'm know? such a terrible liar, though. <laughs> I am, like, if the government even came and poked a little and they were like, are you laundering money? Like, yeah. Yes, yep. yes, exactly yep. what I'm doing. Last yes. week I did about 20 million and it's over there yeah. behind that piece of wood. It's there. in there. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, did it. 
Titting. Now oh, I'd titting. like to talk to my uh, Hollywood rep- uh, attorney who's going to yeah. turn this into a movie. Exactly. Always wanted there to be a celebrity. Is your there uh, is. pipeline to celebrity? Full circle, there baby. Was a <laughs> celebrity. Yeah. Rocket ship. I don't care. No. No. There you have it. Right there it is. Yeah. What's up, Buzz Nation? Are you a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk? How about AJ Vaynerchuk? How about David Meltzer? Well, you can see them all for free. April 8th, 2021, at our Noble 2020 conference, Noble 2022.0, that is. That's a free $250 ticket. All you have to do is head to empathywines.com, buy any 12 bottles of delicious empathy wine, use the code NOBLE2020 at checkout, and you will get a free $250 front section seat. That's right, free. Just like a bird in the sky, a cheetah in the Serengeti, but not like Al in small spaces. Just head to noble2020.com for more details. Today's show, we have the buzzworthy, amazing human being, Aurel Moody. Aurel is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, coach, and professional speaker. His mission is to help people from all walks of life better connect to themselves, to others, and realize there's more to life than just meets the eye. Aurel's work is rooted in studying how humans think to understand, to create within themselves positive change. Buzz Nation, please welcome Aurel Moody. What's up, Aurel? What, what? Thanks for having me, y'all. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, listen, before we get into the really core part of the show, we're going to turn this over to Al, who has our special segment. Yes. The pregame. Pregame. Little free association here. No thinking. No filter. Just go. Let it rip. Sounds good. Giants or Jets? Oh, Giants. Favorite candy? Gummy bears. Vegan. Yes. Uh, first thing you do when you wake up? Uh, thank God that I'm alive. Amen. Favorite beverage? Uh, water or whiskey. Oof. How do you take your eggs? Scramble. Fill in the blank. 2020 is? Very interesting. Ketchup or mustard? Ketchup. Last purchase you made? Uh, wine. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Perfect. Greatest, show. greatest advice you've ever received? Uh, be yourself because everyone else is taken. Worst advice you've ever received? Fake it until you make it. Ugh, that is garbage advice, you're right. LeBron or Jordan? LeBron. <laughs> Done. Favorite whiskey? Favorite whiskey? Right now, I'm at Albalor as number one. Ooh. Okay. Scotch, 12 year, double cask, pretty good. Love I'm also a big fan. I was debating if I should bring out, um, there's something called Lefroy. They have someone called Lore, which is just amazing. Okay. It's like a limited release. I really, really like it. And then um, I'm really liking uh, Obon 14 right now as well. Are you nice. more on the Scotch side, more on the whiskey, bourbon That's side? That's a great question. That's a great question. I thought, I thought I was a Petey Scotch guy for a very, very long time. Then I started getting in some bourbons. Um, like I had Eagle Rare and I really liked oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm swinging more towards, I think, the bourbons, less, you know, uh, not so aged, more yeah. new, but uh, mm-hmm. Scotch. I'm, I'm, I haven't met one I haven't liked yet. Fit right in. Right? Awesome. I'm so I feel unso like so unsophisticated in that realm. Like the other night, I was like, I think I'm gonna have a classy drink, and I whipped out um, Wild Turkey Wild, 101. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> I did I get it? You got it. No, not 101. Wild Turkey American Honey. 
Uh, and I was yeah. like, wow, you are a class act. You know, like, <laughs> you're like, I was like, oh, look uh, at, you know, this is what whiskey should taste like. Yeah. You know what? The one thing that I've discovered from my, my whiskey obsession is uh, it is all over the board, man. Yeah. Like, some For people sure. will drink something and think it's total trash, and other people think it's the greatest thing on the planet. So, if you like some, you know, $4 gallon of whiskey that they sell somewhere, <laughs> put a little water in it and enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. there you have it. It'll, yeah. it'll yeah, once, the flavor once right the out. ice watered it down, it was really good. Absolutely. There you go. Well, listen, uh, we've all been already drinking apparently, so but we'll still cheers to it. Now cheers. is the time when we cheers to our guest um, and something ridiculous. So cheers to you, Arel, to life, love, lots of laughter, and the ongoing question of why there are holes in Swiss cheese. Nobody knows. Nobody. Nobody nope. knows. Not even Google. Cheers. Nope. Did you ask the Swiss people? Mm-mm. We have not. They were busy. All right, yeah. Swiss people they watching don't. this or listening to this, Twitter, LinkedIn, let us know, LinkedIn, let yeah. us know why, there are, why is there holes in your cheese? It has something to do with gases. Gas bubbles. Gas, gas bubbles? bubbles? Gas bubbles. So Aurel actually knows. Aurel <laughs> <laughs> just went with it. He's like, yeah, sure, nobody yeah. knows. These guys. I'm saying that. One of the secrets to life is if you say something with a lot of confidence, even if it's totally wrong, there's yep. a large percentage of people who will believe yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Fantastic. Perfect. Right. <laughs> yeah. to learn that skill. I know. All right. Well, um, we want to get into some deep questions about life and business and balancing the two. But before we do that, Aurel, can you give us the, you know, however long you want to take, 120 seconds. Tell us what you're up to today. Um, you know, what are what is your business? What is your experience in business? And what are you putting out into the world these days? Yeah. So, you know, for the last 14 years, I've been doing professional speaking. Um, I got introduced to entrepreneurship when I was in college and got really big into it, started a company to help students find housing roommates and sublets, um, and then built that for a couple of years, uh, exited from that and started touring around the country, uh, teaching young people entrepreneurship. It was like, oh my, this was back in the day before entrepreneurship was like yeah, a cool. legit career field. This was like 2009, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Um, so we were just trying to like spread the gospel of young entrepreneurship and it, it, we did a pretty good job. And, you know, I feel like entrepreneurs are, are legit now, you know, for the longest time it was, it, it wasn't. So then after uh, finishing that, I started just going to inner city schools, you know, people grew up in environments like me and, and try to share with them what's possible for their lives. So I was doing speaking, I loved it. And then as things progressed, um, just naturally, as I got older, my, my message started maturing. So I was still doing that work, but started doing more in businesses around uh, the idea of likability. So how do you build uh, skill sets to connect with people and use likability as a tool? Um, now, I'm very fortunate that um, I still get to do speaking. I still get to do a lot of speaking to businesses and, uh, and still to colleges too. But uh, about five years ago, I started an online course and it was something that I was doing just because everywhere I'd go, people would ask me, how do you become a speaker? I want to be a speaker. How do you become a speaker? I want to be a speaker. So I was like, all right, let me just create this online course and teach people. And if they really want it, uh, they can get that. But the course did really well. Um, you know, we probably, uh, I, we can talk some numbers, right? Like it does six figures in sales uh, in addition to the, the speaking. So when COVID hit, um, all the speaking engagements got canceled. And it was kind of like, oh man, like for a lot of my colleagues, they didn't know what to do. But luckily for me, for the last couple of years, I've been doing the online course world. So um, when COVID hit, I kind of just accelerated one of the plans I had, which was to teach people, how do you create online courses? How do you take the content you already have? 
package it so whether you're traveling or not traveling, you can, you can still make a difference. So right now, um, doing the speaking, doing the, the online courses, and I have a podcast. It's actually interesting. I love the fact that we're doing this podcast. So I had a podcast called The Art of Likeability for four years, and I kind of put it on the back burner. It was doing really well. But I kind of started moving away from it, but I'm relaunching the podcast under a new brand. So lots of fun, you know, digital space stuff, but just trying to impact people and make a difference and find the best way to do it with whatever the world gives you. Was that a, well, actually that last couple of words you kind of answered, man, my next question was, I was going to say, is that a natural progression that sort of just happened? You noticed using the internet to, you know, positively impact more people was a better way to do it. And you said you still do the speaking, things like that. But did you get into mm-hmm. the online marketing space on purpose because you're like, man, I can do this? Or or did it just happen organically, really just people asking you and you were like, okay, I'll put it on the Internet? I would say, I think it, it was it was probably like a marriage of both. Right. Because what I was doing to learn a lot about business, I naturally found myself being attracted to a lot of these internet marketers, you know, um, I've got to work directly with like Bill Glazier, Dan Kennedy. Um, I've learned from people like Frank Kern, like these are all like kind of heavy hitters in that internet marketing world. And I was using their principles, but using it in the kind of event space, the the speaking space, the event production space. So then I had that skill set. And then with everyone asking me, it was like, well, kind of a no brainer to just combine the two. But then, you know, I think uh, when I decided to do it, what became beautiful about it is if you do online marketing and online courses correctly, you can still do other things. There are some people who just choose to do that and that's all they do. But the whole point of online marketing is to give yourself options so that you don't have to connect your time to creating revenue. And that was one of the things that probably um, a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about when they get into business is, are you creating a business where you are trading time for money? And that's what I do as a speaker, but I loved it so much, I didn't care. But with um, you know everything that happened, having the skill set just built over time, just it, it was for me, I don't want to say good timing because COVID's not good, yeah. but it just helped me accelerate things I've wanted to do that I didn't do because I was speaking. So are, are the acceleration, is it, are you now, you're now teaching people how to do speaking via like Zoom, things like that? Is it evolving into more of that or are you accelerating yeah. things that you were working on previously? Yeah. So what it kind of looks like is what I'm doing now is taking that that five year experience of launching my online course, marketing it, and then packaging that as a way to teach people to share what what they care about. So how do you create your online course? So I have a, a coaching clients that we work with virtually. So we do Zoom sessions. Uh, we have a you know private Facebook group so we can communicate daily, and then they have an online course they can go in and watch the modules of the training that I put together for them. Nice. Yeah. If you were to give so this is a very interesting um, topic. Uh, who was it? Like Tony Robbins and and um, Dean Graziosi are, are yeah. doing. You know how how to basically launch an online course, right? Yeah, the the, the knowledge industry. So yeah. they're they're they've launched a thing on how to basically take your knowledge and leverage it into becoming a knowledge based, you know, business oh, selling yeah. your knowledge. Are you yeah. are you on the the team of everyone has something? that they can turn into a business and teach other people about? Or are you on the side where it's like, um, you know, you, you, you can't, your passion isn't always something you can monetize. You know, we've, we've heard both. I think the way I would answer it is, can you solve a problem someone has with your online course, right? So if I'm passionate about something, but nobody wants to solve that problem, 
then it's a great hobby. It's a fantastic thing to uh, you know talk about, but it's not going to create a business. Ideally, the the simplistic. There's two really easy ways to decide if your online course will make sense. The first is. Uh, is there a problem I'm solving? Is there a pain I can move someone away from? And then the second thing is, do people already have a desire for this that I can channel that desire to what I'm offering? So for example, um, I have a friend who teaches people how to do uh, multifamily real estate. He's a very good friend of mine. He got into this a couple of years ago, created an online course. He's doing really well with it. Now, basically the desire that people have isn't, I want to own multifamily real estate. The desire is I want to create wealth and I want to create passive income and I want to create generational wealth. So that desire is already there. And then he channels that desire to, well, have you thought about multifamily income and getting, you know, multifamily rental properties? So you also want to think, do people have uh, desires for um, whether it's uh, health, relationship, wealth, uh, fitness, you know, there are certain desires that are just innate in us. And if someone already has it, you can then channel it to what you're offering. So if you if you can't answer those two questions, you might have a hobby, which is great, but it, it may not translate into a profitable online course. But if you can do those two things, sky's the limit. Yeah. So I heard you mention, um, you said the word generational. Yeah. Can you think back to all the places that you've spoken and pick yeah. one where you feel your message made the biggest generational change to the audience? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so what what initially jumps into my head is who are the clients that bring me back year after year? You know, um, there are some clients that I get to work with, like literally there's a, a group out in Eastern Oklahoma that I've spoken to year after year and I haven't worked with them for about two years and they contacted me and said, hey, we need to do something um, to, to impact these students virtually. So that was like, super like, yeah, I love when people continue to work with me. There's two schools, um, colleges specifically, that probably paid me, I think, one of the biggest compliments. Uh, it was a, a school in New York City, college in New York City, and a college in just upstate New York. And they said that the years that I speak in their, at their school, so for one school, it's been multiple years. For the other, it was one year. Their dr uh, dropout rate decreases when I speak there. And the years that I don't speak, the dropout rates are higher. So for the one school, they said, we've never seen numbers like this. We haven't seen kids drop out. The only thing we did different is we brought you in this week. So that's like, okay, that's cool. you know, it's huge. there's causation, there's correlation. So obviously you have to be very careful with what you say. Sure. But to see schools saying we, you know, the one school BMCC in New York City, said they noticed this as a pattern. That's like, I mean, that, that's, awesome. that's like the greatest compliment. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Talk about the business of speaking, right? So that's, yep. you, you are a speaker yourself. Um, you are a trainer of speakers. What are some of the reasons people want to get into speaking? Is it because they're, do you see it's more because they want to give back knowledge to the world? Is it because yeah. they're looking for another business opportunity? I mean, is it spread the gamut? And then what well, would you say is, yeah. is, the best reason to get into speaking? Yeah, so um, it's funny. One of the reasons I spent years not wanting to create uh, an online course for speakers because the reality of it is I hate probably 95% of speakers that exist. There's just not many of like them. Like full, full of themselves kind of? 
Yeah, because the, there, there is a, a large crop of people that go, when I speak, people listen to me and I'm so <laughs> motivating. So I must go out and do this great, like, you know, service to the world by speaking. And the reason that they're doing it is not necessarily from the, the place of service. They're doing it because they think they're great and the world must know how great they are. Uh, so because of that, I just never, like, never made lots of friends. There's probably, I can count uh, on one, maybe two hands, how many friends I had that were speakers because the large majority of them, I was just like, I, I don't vibe with them. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to get along because mm-hmm. um, that's not what I was about. So I didn't want to do the course because I was like, I don't want to create more of those people. But, you know, a friend of mine said, well, listen, if you do it the right way and teach people the right way, you can actually make a, a positive difference. So I was like, well, if I wanted to do that, what would I care about the most? And ultimately it's that you're going there and you as a speaker, you're simply a tool. Like you're literally just a, 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 almost a, a mechanism to inspire change. You know, if I go to a place and nobody remembers my name and nobody remembers my face, but they're like, this one guy came and he said this one thing and it changed the rest of my life and I'm so grateful. And they're not giving me that power. They're assigning the power to themselves. Then I feel like I did a really good job. But if it's all about, you got to remember my name and I got to be the best guy in the whole world, I think you can get very clouded because this is the type of industry where people will come up to you afterwards and pat you on the back, tell you how great you are and tell you how fantastic you are. And if you don't have the right grounding, you can turn into an egotistical jerk very quickly, very, very quickly. So if you're not grounded in the, my job is to enact change. I'm a conduit for making a difference. And whatever I say and whatever I do, it's not about me. It's about the people I'm helping. Then you will do very successful in it. But if it's about how great you are, and I mean, if you want to see how that works, go to most people's websites and they'll talk about Every time I speak, people love me and said that I'm the greatest speaker they've ever heard. So I decided to become a professional speaker to spread this message to more people. It's like, it's not about you. It's about the people. So get focused. So what are some of the, you know, what are are the best, the best speakers that you've seen? What kind of traits do they have? So the the best speakers that I've seen, um, and I'd, I'd categorize Tony Robbins. You know, I've been to his events in person and his ability to understand human psychology like his ability to understand what to say, how to say, how to push someone and how to move back. Like he understands his audience very well. And I think he rides the, the line very well of like what he calls masculine energy and also the feminine, right? So he's caring, he'll cry, he's not afraid of that, but you don't think he's a punk or a fool. So I think that the best speakers, the qualities that they have is that they have a deep yearning to understand how humans think. Because if I can walk into a room, I can understand very quickly, this room doesn't want to hear me right now. I've walked into tons of rooms where in the first, Hmm. you know, five minutes, it was very obvious that no one in that room was excited about being there. So I now got to go. I can't just stick to my script. I got to figure out how to get these people to actually care and then I can help them. So sometimes you got to go completely off script. But if you come in with this is the only thing I'm going to say, I'm going to go X, Y, Z, and that's it. And you try to copy and paste that. You might run into a hostile audience and then bomb and then think you're not good and then quit at something you could be really good at simply because you didn't take the time to understand how to read audiences, how to understand people, how to understand what enacts change. And, and nine times out of 10, what people think enact change isn't actually what does. So you have to understand humans. And if you do that, you can be very, very good at this profession. 
So I'm thinking of people like, so you mentioned Tony Robbins already. I'm thinking of Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm thinking of Rachel Hollis. I'm thinking of um, uh, David Meltzer, who we have at our, coming to our conference also. Um, you know, I'm thinking of some of these more modern, um, who's the other guy? Quest, nutrition guy. Oh, Tom. Oh, yep. Bill Yu. Yeah. So I'm looking at all these different people, right? And they all have sort of different presentations, right? So you have mm-hmm. Tony Robbins, who clearly is just natural. Like, he doesn't script was, all of that he stuff. He was put on the earth to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk doesn't script anything. Like, we know that yeah, yeah. firsthand. <laughs> um, you know, then then you have some other people. Uh, I don't know Rachel Hollis at all, but she's shown videos of her, like, early on, just, like, grinding away, talking to two people, and then she's talking to ten people, and then she's talking to twenty people. So my question is, in your opinion, is speaking an art or a science? Yeah, so I think every art is also a science, right? So if you if you look at a song, um, it's got chords, it's got uh, choruses, it's got verses. So there's a structure that is similar. But the difference between a hit song and a song that your friend is trying to get you to listen to on SoundCloud that you don't really want to listen to is how they turn that science into an art. So I think that the best thing about speaking, the thing that I love is that you take any of those speakers you mentioned, right? You take a a Joel Osteen style of speaking, you take a Gandhi style of speaking, you take a President Obama style of speaking, right? They're all wildly different, but impactful in their own way. Mm -hmm. So the, the best way to look at it is there's not a mold of speaker that will make you successful. It's just you take your personality and you turn the volume up. That's it. If you can, I think the hardest thing for people to do is find out who am I on stage? It's a weird thing because you could talk to someone off stage and they're so charismatic and so funny and you put them up on a stage and they turn into some robot and you're like, who is that guy? Like, that's not who I spoke to. So getting someone to literally, it, it might take a couple of hundred presentations to discover who am I in this medium and then how do I turn the volume up and how do I turn it down when I need to? So I think ultimately, no matter who we are, um, whether we have a lisp, whether we have a stutter, it, it, that will not like exclude you from this art, but you have to be able to own the stage and you gotta be able to turn the volume up, turn it down. And a lot of that is science. You can learn. There's a lot of things about where you stand, how you stand, how you build a presentation. But that's the, you know, it's the reason why, you know, one person can make a hit song and another person, they just can't do it. Yeah. That's where the artist comes in. So shifting gears a little bit, because part of what we're about, Aurel, is, is bringing a little life to business. Now, I know you've got young children. Is it two girls or? Two boys. Two boys. Yeah. Um, and, and being at the age that they're at and having spoken to the age group that you have for so long in your career, how yeah. has that impacted how you're how you're choosing to raise your own children? Yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of having my own children is there are a lot of things that I just simply can't do uh, out in a speaking engagement. Like, I would love to spend time with a kid 24-7, yeah. right? But if I go out to an event and I speak at a business, and I can't stay with their employees 24-7. If I go speak at a college, I can't stay with those students 24-7. But my kids, I have the ability to, you know, um, be with them. So hopefully the the beauty of it is, which is the funny part that a lot of speakers, um, it, it's kind of weird, so I'll explain what I mean by it. So a lot of speakers, they get like 60 minutes on stage and they're literally the best version of themselves for 60 minutes. 
So you go into that audience and everyone's like, oh, like someone sees Gary, Gary V speak. And they're like, oh my gosh, Gary V blew my mind. This was amazing. Because literally you're seeing him at his apex, at his best within that context. But at home, his kids see him fart. His kids see him pick <laughs> his nose. His kids see him like with his pants at his ankles because there's no toilet paper in the bathroom and he's got to waddle sure. out and go get it. Like he's the human version that we all are. So what's beautiful about having um, the, the methodology, at least in the mindset that, you know, individuals like he has, and I'd, I'd like to say like myself, is that you say when I'm home, I can't turn off. You know, my mentor told me that a lot of people give the world Superman, but they didn't give their family Clark Kent, right? Mm. So they turn on when it comes for work and they're this almost like mythological creature. When they come home, they turn off. So they, you know, and I did that for years and I didn't realize like my girlfriend, now wife at the time got upset because she was like, yo, I see you out there laughing, giggling, talking to people when you come home. Are you unhappy? It's like, no, like, what are you talking about? You're the best thing that ever happened to me. But I realized I was giving the world the best Best version of myself and then coming home and giving my crumbs to my family. So you got to turn it on and be like, I got to be Superman in both places because I can't be that for these people and not my family. And I think a lot of people miss that. So it's a beautiful uh, plateau to get on and say, I'm Superman 24-7. And it's not easy, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. So that, and you you led into what my next question was, and that is when you, you're speaking to so many people and you have this desire, you know, tugging at your heart that you want to spend that time with somebody one-on-one. Are you able, have you figured out how to have to make that happen in whether that's uh, another vertical in your business or is because you've got to like have people that just come up to you when you're speaking and you're like, oh my gosh, I just wish I could spend, you know, a day with you or Mm -hmm. take that big group and shrink it down how do you how do you work through that emotionally? Yeah, so it's fascinating. Um, so this is the reality of it. Um, I have one, two things. One, I will stay after like I'll keynote for an hour, but I might be there for six hours. I might be there for mm-hmm. seven hours afterwards because literally, I did. I made a decision. I won't leave until everyone gets their questions answered. Like if they're gonna wait long enough to talk to me. I'm going to wait long enough to answer their questions. So when I have speaking engagements, I typically don't book my my flights the same day because I want to be as best of service. But this is where it gets fascinating. You can easily weed out the large majority of humans who really, because I can't make someone care. So what I always say is I give them my email. I say, this is my email. You got any questions, you reach out to me. Um... I have a handful of people who've stayed in touch with me and I've done everything for them. Like any question they have, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to ask. Like, I'm sure, but you guys were planning this incredible conference you're planning. I'm sure people come up to you and go, oh my gosh, could you show me how you do it? And you go, sure, here's my email, reach out. And then they don't reach out. So the funniest thing is the easiest way to like weed out people who are like want it, but don't really want it is to just give them a task to do. And the task can be simply reach out to me. Now, people will send one email. Don't get me wrong. There are people who will send one email. But there's a large, like the large percentage of humans, they won't follow up or they won't care enough. So as funny as it is, I feel like I've never been more accessible like ever. But, you know, there's only a small percentage of people reach out. So, you know, I've always felt like if you really want something, I'll email you and you won't respond. Then I'm going to email you again. I'm going right. e- to email you until you tell me, leave you alone, or you answer my question. 
But the majority of people don't act like that. They don't think like that. So if, if I think someone listening, if you really genuinely want to connect with someone, don't let, oh, I sent one email, they didn't respond. Well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. Like, no, like until they say, if they say leave you alone, leave them alone because then you're a creeper if you don't. <laughs> if not, most people will be like, yo, thank you so much. Like I've been busy. Like I, I couldn't drop everything and answer your email when you sent it because I was busy. But the fact that you followed up, I'll break my, I'll do whatever you need. I'll break my back for you. Like yeah. I'll give you anything you want. So it, it's kind of just self-selection, honestly. Why do you feel so many people are like that? Because you're 100% right and we, I see it all the time. Yep. The the follow up is the thing. You know, I know personally people who've purchased ten online courses and not done anything with them. Um, you know, we see. Uh, I see a lot of people who. I used to do some entrepreneurship counseling, and and they'd come in, they'd be all energetic, they're writing notes down on their paper, and 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 you know nothing after that. Similar to what you said, they don't they don't follow up with any emails. They don't answer the emails when when. You know, I would follow up. Uh, why is that? It's probably different for everybody, but what are some of the common reasons people don't follow up with actions after your you do a talk, whether it's to students or to a business or whatever, or if they go watch Gary Vaynerchuk or if they watch a video, a motivational video? What is what are some of those reasons people can't get over themselves? I guess uh, people, I think. Uh, fall into two fatal flaws. And this is just, this isn't research. This is my just observations of humans. Um, the first is they hate to have other people know that they don't know something. Mm. I would rather die than you know I don't know something. That's how people operate. I, You know what? I have no idea how to do that. But for me to admit that I don't know how to do that would hurt my ego so much. I would rather literally play below my means um, for the rest of my life than to just expose this vulnerability. And if you go, if you trace this back, I mean, think about your school for a moment. How many times were we in a classroom and we didn't know what was going on? And we could have simply raised our hand and asked the question, but we were like, well, if I don't ask a question, then people won't know if I'm smart or know if I'm stupid. And I can be either one so I would rather be either smart or stupid than to raise my hand and prove someone to be right. Um, so I think that ego gets in the way. I think that desire that, oh, everyone else seems like they know what they're doing. You know, like th the funny thing is, right, like people will look at other people and instantly point out why they're so amazing. Oh, look at you guys. You got your, your, your empathy wine and you got Gary Vee and you got this podcast. You guys got it all figured out. But if you're like a normal human, you're like, we're just I'm sorry, I couldn't keep a straight face with that. <laughs> we're just rolling with it, man. Yeah, we're just yeah, yeah, we're like, just swinging the bat, you yeah, know, and, yeah. you know, we're going to connect with the ball a few times. Right. And I saw the video that you guys um, put out when you got, I think, your, your title sponsor. Right. And oh. then you were like super yeah, excited yeah, yeah. about it. Right. And it's like, yo, you're swinging the bat. Yeah. That's why you're getting results. But I'm sure you're going to the meeting like, I got no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> like, accurate. I don't know. 100% accurate. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you mentioned about the emails, like, you know, following up and they don't answer. I mean, that's how we got Gary. We literally DM'd him for a week straight until we got an answer. And then we negotiated, you know, our, our wine deal with him until we got a number. Like, you Swing. know, to all the viewers or listeners out there. What Arel's talking about is 100% accurate. Like, yeah. we didn't have all of this. Like, we didn't have a connection to Gary, and that's the reason why all of this is happening. Like, 
we made it. Or like, we just kept going until we got a no. Thankfully, we didn't get a no. Um, and everyone thinks, oh, you guys are just smart. Now, I don't say everyone. Lots yeah. of people who won't achieve their goals will go, well, you guys are lucky. You're smart. You're, you're cool. Of right. course, he was going to say yes. So they're going to look at all the reasons why you got the yes. But then on the back end, everyone's going, do you know how much I don't know? <laughs> and do you know how much I'm just trying to figure it all out? But because I get these one or two wins, and this is like, I mean, if people really want to like understand how to, how to yield power, if you really, really want to yield power, you just know that the large majority of humans will observe one or two wins as if that's the majority of your life. So if you just act as if those one or two wins are indeed the majority of your life, enough people will believe you that is the majority of your life. And then you become a trusted figure yeah. and you're walking around the whole time like, I genuinely am still trying to figure yeah. But I know that you have this insecurity and I'm trying to make it happen. So I'm going to like plant my feet and be the most confident person. And then the funny thing happens is if you plant your feet long enough, you start actually learning something. Right. But most people, I think, aren't willing to plant their feet in that feeling of unknowing. So that's why they don't finish the courses because they don't want to reach out and say, in module three, you said this, but I don't know what you're talking about. Could you please break it down? And then the, the, the creator would go, of course, I'd this is the why I created it was yeah. to help people. Not yeah. for you to go, well, I'm just going to disappear because to admit that I don't know what I'm doing or it's taking too much time hurts my ego too much. So if you get over that, I mean, you can do it. I mean, honestly, like if, if we really get possible to how we, like literally people running states, the largest businesses you've ever seen walk around with this insecurity. Like, I really don't know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> just enough people have trusted me and I just got to keep going and yeah. I'm going to figure it out somehow. When you're speaking to people and you recognize this quality or potential quality in them where they've got all the feelings, they've got all the feels, but they can't act. They, they, they've got the feelings, they're hyped, they're ready to go. How do you get people to cross over from, man, I feel this, to like, you're going to jump in head first and you're not going to know anything. Like, how do you get them to make that jump? Because that's the biggest, that's the biggest jump. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've thought about that one question um, more times than, than I could think of. And the truth is I haven't come to an answer that I love yet. Um, I think that ultimately there are things a mentor can do. A mentor can show you the way, a book can show you the way, a podcast can show you the way, but you got to just be willing to, you know, step up to the plate and see that 95 mile power fastball whiz by you and feel the fear of like that came by way faster than I thought. But they were telling me that, you know, keep your eye on the ball and, you know, square your feet and, you know, transfer your, your hip rate or whatever. Right. Like I can tell you all that, but you have to just decide that the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of trying something new. Like we all have different parts that will move us, but if the pain of me staying the same is not more unbearable than the pain of changing, I will choose to stay the same. So the, the funny thing is I, I've actually thought about this and thought, you know, the, the greatest thing that we can actually run towards are, are our pains, our insecurities, like run full force into them. Because if you run into your pain, you will get so uncomfortable and unhappy with your current state of being that you have to do something to change it. But if I get like, if, I mean, think about it, how many people, when they pull to a red light, 
right? And I'm guilty. I've done this too. You pull to a red light. You don't chill and think. You pull out your phone because you're like, I got 15 seconds to check Instagram, <laughs> right? Like I can literally fill my time with food, alcohol, Netflix, drugs, uh, unlimited TVs, videos, NBA highlights, right? Whatever is my thing, I can fill my space so that my current existence doesn't feel so bad. Mm-hmm. But if I can really get present to how bad I feel, then I go, I can't stay here. I got to do something. But if you don't do that, <laughs> you know, you're going to stay, you know, the, the, the scariest thing for me is waking up in 10 years and being like, damn, I'm just 10 years older, but nothing in my life is different. Nothing's sitting there, nothing's changed. But that drives me. For other people, they don't, uh, they don't want to embrace that pain and they'll stay the same and they'll be 10 years older and just... And that ten years older. Yeah, and that, that must be hard for you as a as a motivator and a speaker and someone who's really trying to change lives. I mean, I had an, an example the other day. I have a good friend who they're just in a very bad place, and I've, they have been there for years. And you know, I can tell them all these things, but I said something. I said, like, listen, you got a deep dive. You got to like deep dive into the Tony Robbins stuff, into the spiritual stuff, into you have to like plunge into those things whether you want to or not because it's the only way out of this feeling that you're in and she was like no i think they're frauds (laughs) and i and something happened in me where i was like okay (laughs) you know i was like yeah you're right or whatever and then i and then that really you know soured me because i was like listen like go go do your thing but you're not gonna drag me down i cannot help you like you can't be helped but you as a as a true leader and speaker like how do you deal with those people where they're like you can tell like there's no help in them they're gonna go by the wayside so there's 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 a philosophical approach to it and there's a practical approach which is a little more difficult you know the philosophical approach is that we're responsible to people but not for people Mm. right so i'm responsible to listen i'm responsible to give advice when asked because if someone doesn't ask you for advice then all they're really looking for is empathy Mm -hmm. which is hard for us as people who want to solve problems. Be sure. like, I know what your problem. Here's yeah. the solution. I know. But some people just need to. Right. They just want to. Yeah. They just need empathy or a glass of empathy wine. Right. One of the two, right. <laughs> right. Um, and then the practical approach is, and this is like this is that deep inner work. And I'm I'm a big, just huge advocate of this deep personal work because it's so interesting. There is a there is a script that's running in their brain. There's like a program Mm -hmm. that says that this is the way the world is. And for most people, it's running just in the background. It just exists there. And they don't even know. It's like if I were to give you green tinted glasses and you wore them and you only wore green tinted glasses, you would think the whole world looked the way you saw it because how could you see it any differently? Mm -hmm. So if you looked at the color yellow, it's going to be a very different color with green tinted lenses than someone who did it. So if you can actually practically get down to what are the scripts they're actually running, what are the ways that they see the world, then discover where those came from. Many times when people will be like, oh, snap. And the funny part is um, most of these decisions on how the world works, we created them when we were kids, mm-hmm. like seven years old, eight years old, 13 years old. Like when we were kids, we created it to survive that moment in time that we needed to survive. And then we created this belief that this is the way the world works. But as an adult, you go, oh snap, an eight-year-old came up with this script, right? (laughs) So your friend, and I know nothing about her, so I can't say this is it at all, but what if she came up with a script that says like, well, what if like during really a tough time, someone told her, well, you're just not as good as everyone else, so don't try. 
So at eight years old, she heard this and then started running this script that said, no matter how hard I try, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, of course, but if she's running that, that might play out in all areas of her life, that good enough problem. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, if you can actually get to that, the genesis of that script, you actually have the ability to potentially rewrite it. You can see amazing work when you do stuff like that. Yeah. So talking about, so my, my world is in more of the digital marketing, online marketing world outside of No Bull. Um, so I'm super interested to just kind of hear your thoughts. You mentioned earlier how you were sort of skeptical about speakers for a little bit um, because you noticed some trends and some traits and things like that. I admittingly have been skeptical about the online marketing world um, and and sort of that blend of professional speaker to online marketing because I have seen some that are that are training you how to leverage it just to make money, right? So there's always this piece of me that's like, well, they're, you know, they're just trying to they're just trying to game the system. So they'll find the hook, they'll do this the splash page, the landing page, the sales page, whatever you want to call it. It'll be super long all along the way. They'll have their tactics, which by the way, tactics are great. I understand them and systems are great, but I I have a hard time getting over seeing a lot of um, online marketing courses to realize that at the end of that, I'm going to actually have the value that's worth the $200 that I bought in with and the $1,200 that I pay for the premium version of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I understand why they're doing it, but, in my mind, I always go through, how do I know that they're the real deal? The, the, they're, they're in it to give value, like you're talking about, or they're in it to make a million dollars and to drive their Lamborghini and to yeah. travel around the world with my money. You know, and and you're, really, you're really sensitive to the people that actually built businesses from the ground up and they went through all of this, what you're talking about. And the people that are just teach people how to build businesses. Yeah. Like you yeah, see, well, you see Snapchat, um, Instagram, it, it happened cr- crazy on Instagram, YouTube. You'll see these. And I, I, have a, I have a hard time. I'm admitting like I have a hard time. Maybe they have. But I've seen the 22 year old, you know, white dude that's on there sitting on his Lamborghini saying, oh, do yeah. you want to make money like me? Like, right. So. I have a super hard time with the fact that they're attracting so many young uh, people who want that. And so they'll buy their courses and then those people will then sell a course on how to Amazon FBA, Amazon FBA. That's a big one. (laughs) Right. So anyways, it's a long way around to how like talk about the differences. How does somebody sniff out these the, the people who have real intentions to, to yeah build a business right make money for their family of course but how do you do you find the ones that are truly valuable and are in it to give back to the world while building some financial freedom for their family versus the ones that are, that are only about yeah yeah they'll take your money yeah well you know so it's interesting there's uh, a lot of people that do uh, what some people might call debag marketing right mm-hmm. like <laughs> what you said I'm on my Lambo yeah. and I'm throwing money in the air yeah. right. And the thing is, there's a very small percentage of those people that uh, their heart is actually in the right place for why they're doing it. Um, it's, it's fascinating. Now, I can't speak towards their hearts because I don't know them, right? But the large majority of people, I think, um, if you look at their marketing, 
and it gives you the heebie-jeebies at all, you got to trust your gut a little bit, right? Because all the people who I've learned from, who I've really, really been like, you know what, let, let me give this person a shot. Let me, you know, open up my wallet. Let me spend this money. Let me spend my time and go through their program. I typically have asked myself, they, they fall into two categories, right? Not so much more now, but in the past it was, I don't like them. I don't like anything about them, but I want to know what they know. So let me just, you know, skim off the good and reject the bad. And then ultimately what I found now is the second group is if this person is someone who I genuinely want to be like, like I genuinely, like if I could emulate who they are, I would be good with that. Then that's a good person to learn from. Because what happens is that person who's on the Lambo, you know, and we all know that, well, not, I shouldn't say we all know that, but the, the methodology is spend 500 bucks to rent the Lambo, right? Take out a bunch of money in 20s, do that and sell the course on teaching people how to do internet marketing until you can actually buy it yourself from the money you made teaching people how to do internet marketing, which you learned from a course on teaching internet marketing. So, you know, one is trust your gut. And then two, it's also, and this is, this is a personal thing. I don't know if this works for everyone else, but I want to know the person I'm learning from did the thing they they're teaching me in a different arena outside of just teaching me. Right. So if someone is an internet marketing genius, because they've, taught just internet marketing, you can start going, oh, like maybe all they know is the internet marketing, which is fine if all I want to teach is internet marketing, but it comes very incestuous. So it's like, oh, were they able to do that outside in some other business? And then they're applying those principles that they learned inside. So I think you trust your gut. You know, if someone gives you the heebie-jeebies, I've almost always found when I pay for someone who I don't like them as a person, but I just want to learn what they know, uh, I usually get disappointed. And I'm like, this wasn't as like the sales copy was really good. Um, but if they're also living a lifestyle that I don't want to emulate, like I don't want to um, sit on a Lamborghini and throw money in people's faces. You know, I, like I don't want to do that. I just don't. But if there's somebody who, you know, it generally seems like they have a good family life. They generally seem balanced. They generally do things that seem good. They don't seem kind of snake oily. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll take that into consideration. But for most people, that you know, eighteen to twenty-five year old single male, they got a lot of money they're willing to drop to be able to be that guy that has the Lambo. So they just, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. They're not going to go away, um, and they're going to spend a lot of money. And most of them won't make it. Um, I think I don't know, like three percent of people who buy courses go through them. Like it's a really low number. Yeah. Um, so you just kind of you, you kind of go. Do I want if I were to be this person, would I be okay with that? And, you know, kind of might use as your, as your North star. I think the checking the box has a lot to do with why people maybe buy the courses, but then don't follow through. Right. They, maybe they feel like the course is the step that they need to take. And then after that, everything will happen. And then at the end they realize, yeah. Oh shit, I have to actually do some do work after I take the course. And that becomes hard yeah. or things get in the way. I mean, I, I know I've, seen that i've even felt that before like i've Um, i've taken two online courses that were actually like paid investment investment into them you know the first one was uh was just because i wanted to see what it was all about i was in the digital marketing space right so we do marketing for companies but it's a lot of the same practices as online marketing Mm -hmm. so the first one was i wanted to to see the second one was um actually i wanted i wanted um, some of my employees to learn how to do these performance videos. Like you've seen like purple mattresses and dollar mm-hmm. shave club and uh, poopery and 
some of yeah. these more modern, funny infomercials, they're actually mm -hmm. like generate millions and millions of dollars for companies and it's a, it's a science. So the second one, <clears throat> we, we bought that as an agency. Um, but uh, both the, the first one was more like what you were saying where I was like, I don't really feel great about this, but I wanna learn this, the science of online marketing. And yep. sure enough at the end, uh, very much felt how, how you felt, which it was just teaching me how to teach other people how to do online marketing. So which maybe is where that wow. feeling you mentioned that I have comes from of like making yeah, sure people actually built something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if, from if day one when we first started this conference, you were very, very adamant about like they have to there there's no bias. They have to have built something from the ground up and like be able to show those battle wounds. Um yeah. and it's probably you know because of that. I find it interesting and I'm I'm right now I'm sort of pivoting as an entertainer and person in, in the entertainment industry and we're obviously struggling right now. <laughs> so I'm pivoting and I'm really looking into like the <coughs> stock market and uh, advancing my knowledge there and real estate and trying to take some of the things that I have very basic knowledge of and amp it up. So I'm in this position right now where I'm looking at all sorts of courses and all sorts of things. And right now I'm kind of in the on the fence. I'd love to know what you think about this is <laughs> instead of buying the course, or instead of buying whatever it is, and then they upsell you on the next, and then the 90 days is up, and it's like, well, what about the next 90 days? Mm. You know, instead of that, I'm contemplating actually just going to, whether it's a, a broker or a real estate professional here, and just saying, like, I want to work under you for free. Excellent. Like, doing that instead of buying the courses and trying to, like, self-educate without, without really... I, I just think there's way more value to that if you can sacrifice the time. What do you think about that? Coursework yeah, or just I mean, approaching somebody? You know, I think the biggest thing is just choosing someone who is actually successful in doing it, right? Because there's tons of people who are real estate uh, professionals. It doesn't mean they're, they're successful as real estate professionals. Right. But if you can learn from them, like I, I was interested in real estate. Um, literally, I was going to buy, I was buy, I was going to buy my first investment property, um, this year and then it was literally right around february where i was looking at it and then i didn't because i was like let me see how this world turns itself out right but my landlord who from like five years ago um i stayed in touch with him great guy owns tons of properties and he's like man if you ever want real estate let me know so i hit him up and i was like i actually now i am very interested in that so he would take me out and say this is why i don't like this neighborhood this is what i look for so literally having him in the field and having him show me, he was super generous because he did it, you know, just for mentorship's sake, no, no financial uh, compensation. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just felt like I caught this incredible right. knowledge because I could ask the questions I actually wanted to ask versus uh, a particular prescribed method. So I think right. if you can go out and do that, uh, it, it's fantastic. I would also say that going out and doing it and then finding a course that you like right. would probably allow you to understand it more, right. right? So like if you work with a real estate salesperson or, or, or a broker or developer or salesperson, or whatever, and you were in the world with them and then you took the course, you're gonna be like, that's what that is. Bingo. Because what happens is so much of us, we learn things from a position where it's like, I've got no frame of reference mm -hmm. for what I'm about to learn. It's a harder learning curve because ultimately me telling you how to deal with rejection right. and then dealing with rejection oh. are two very different skill sets. You know? yeah. 
So uh, if you can be practical and do it, I, I think you'd get a ton out of it. I would give your time. I think um, uh, early in my career, my mentor said, you first um, work to learn so you can work to earn. Mm-hmm. And I've just always uh, said that's true. Like I'd happily, for something I want to learn, give my time and do something I'd sweep. Like at this point in my career, I'd go into someone's <laughs> shop and sweep it. If they'd let, if they, you know, open up the curtain and let me learn, you know, because I know that I, I can take that and turn. 100%. All right. I got one more final question before we, uh, we wrap up here. Yes. Um, so the thesis behind our entire brand is bringing life to business, right? So there's tons of organizations out there, media companies that talk, <clears throat> talk about all the, the business side of things. Uh, but we wanted to, to kind of balance out the, the life side of things. So can you share with uh, Buzz Nation, our audience, one kind of moment in your life that you feel was, we'll call it the tipping point or tipping thing that allowed yep. you to build what you have now. And then one moment of failure or, or one down moment that, <clears throat> that, was, that humbled you to be yeah. the person you are today. Well, the most, I mean, the most motivating thing that ever happened to me was the birth of that guy right there, my first son, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't know if you have children. I don't know if people listening have children, but if you're in the right headspace, having a child has been the most motivating factor in the entire world for me because I could live off of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like I just, I'm built like that. I could live in a cardboard box with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and I'd be fine. But when my son was born, I was like, yo, I, I, I can't fail now because I literally have a helpless, defenseless human who is totally 100% relying upon me. Because even like my girlfriend, who's now my wife at the time, because I've, I've dated her for like a long time, since 2002. Um, like I was like, well, you know, I love her, but if, if everything, if anything ever goes bad, she could leave me and she'd be fine, right? Like this is how my mind would be. Mm-hmm. But my kid, yeah. he's solely dependent upon me doing well. So what happened is there was a really powerful moment where it was probably the fourth day we had him home from the hospital and I was holding him in my arms. And, you know, at that age, they don't really do much. They're just there. Right. And I was just looking at him and I started getting really emotional because I was thinking about everything I'd want him to achieve. Right? I started thinking about what kind of life I'd want him to have, what kind of adult I'd want him to be, what, you know, all of the things I'd want him to have in this world. And then this, this reality hit me, which, which was a really hard pill to swallow is I then had to ask myself, everything I'm wishing for him, how much am I checking the boxes on all those categories fully? And I was like, am I doing projects that I'm not really excited about? Am I doing things that I feel like I'm doing just for money and not for impact? Holy crap, like, I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want to expect something of my son. I wouldn't expect it myself. So when I made the decision that I would never, ever expect something of him that I wouldn't expect of myself, it became, well, it's very clear I want him to have the best life possible. So then, okay, I got to step up my game. So for me, the, the, the tipping point was that realization that I have this little human that not only was dependent upon me, but will observe everything I do. Everything. So I can't tell him, go after your dreams and believe in yourself if I'm saying, well, I'm stuck in this particular thing. And even though it's a business that I built, I, you know, no one ever talks about the golden handcuffs of the business that you built and you feel like you can't get out. <laughs> yeah. You don't love it like you once loved it. And people can't understand that because that's a real thing. 
So I had to, you know, I, that was a big tipping point to make change. And then uh, in, in the second question was, was it failure? Was that yeah, it? Yeah, failure or down moment in your life. Like for me, like it wasn't even a down moment because I had a great, but I'll just give you an example. Like I had to move, I moved back in with my parents as a, as an adult um, in order to make my current business, which is great and thriving now, survive. Right. So I had to <laughs> stop being a self-sufficient adult to be able to, to do that, right? So I don't even know if I tell that story very often. But yeah, like, I mean, a there, was a, really- there was a period of time where um, I was, I was as a, see, this is one of the things that's weird about entrepreneurship is that a lot of businesses, and if they do, like, God bless people with recurring revenue models. I think those people who've got people paying them every month so they can, like, predict revenue, that's the best business model, right? <laughs> but, like, I wasn't in that. I was in the business model just like, yo, I got to, like, if I don't hunt, I don't eat, yep. you know? That's yeah. right. So I was living in um, a, a really, like, just not great neighborhood because um, it was low rent. And I always thought, well, you know, if the crap hits the fan, I, like, I know I can afford a place to live. I won't be homeless, right? Yeah. So the thing was happening is, um, this was during the period of time where I won Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30, right? Like I was on this, like I felt like a total fraud because I'm like, everyone out here is so much more successful than me because mm. I'm living in this crappy ass apartment because I'm afraid that like, even though things have been going okay and I've been going, what if they don't? What right. if, that's the fear. What if it just all dries up and I got nothing? And then what happened is I started believing that so much that it, it didn't matter how much revenue we made. It didn't matter because my fear was always, well, we're going to lose it all. We're going to lose it all. So to be someone who's supposed to be like the model of young success, living in an apartment, living in a neighborhood that I didn't feel safe in, um, felt like just, uh, you know, and I was driving a 96 Camry with like 150,000 miles on it. Yeah. So I felt like my external world in my private space didn't match the external world that the public would have expected right. of me. So to, to, to swallow that and to live in that for years. But I, then I got to a point where it was like, again, the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of changing. It's like, I was afraid people, like this one time, this is weird. I know we're going over one time, but bear with me here. There was this time I was, I spoke at a school um, locally and uh, I was walking my dog and this dude pulls up in his car and goes, what are you doing here? And I was like, what? What, what do you mean what am I doing here? Like, it was like a young kid. And he was like, you're the speaker. You came and spoke in my school. What you doing in this neighborhood? And I was like, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Walking dog. Like, I didn't like, I didn't know how to explain yeah, like yeah. market research. He, just call. Yeah. Like he just called me out. Right. And then he I was like, all right, man, take care. And he sped off. And then I was like, you know what? I can't keep living afraid of losing everything. Like I lived my whole life. Like I'm afraid I'm going to lose everything. Like I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn. So like, I know like what that world is like. I was like, I don't want to go back there. So I, I had to like get pulled out of it, but mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have done it myself. Mm-hmm. I would have stayed in that fearful state much longer than I should have because the pain of staying the same wasn't the greater, greater than the pain of change. But when I saw that one kid who I don't even remember his name and he probably doesn't remember it happened either. It was like the greatest catalyst. Cause I was like, I don't want this to happen again. And I got to make a move. So you, you double down and you make certain decisions and they're scary as hell. But, you know, to, to be living in places where I feel like, you know, people are like, what the hell are you doing here? I was like, I can't do this no more. I love it. True. Yeah. 
Or else, man, you've been a wealth of knowledge and inspiration to us and Buzz Nation. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and busy life to to spend with us. Um, before we leave, we want to give you a quick little cheers. So, in cheers to life and business, my man. May you prosper in both. L'chaim. Thank you. As always, we are super appreciative to everyone who watches and listen. Don't forget, you can watch these episodes on Facebook and YouTube in full. And you can listen to them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you love to consume your favorite content. Thank you so much for consuming. As always, we love you. Cheers to life and business. May you prosper in both.